On this episode, I'm in the room with Melissa B. Kruger discussing one means of intentional mentorship. Welcome to In The Room, episode number 77. I'm your host, Ryan Hughley. And for those of you who may be joining me for the very first time, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the author of Eight Hours or Less, Writing Faithful Sermons Faster. Today, I'm talking with Melissa B. Kruger about her new book, Growing Together, Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk and Prayer Requests. Now, in addition to writing multiple books, Melissa is the Director of Women's Initiatives for the Gospel Coalition. She also has three kids, and she's married to her husband, Michael, who serves as the president of Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. The majority of my conversation centered around the subject of mentoring. Now, in my experience, mentoring can be a very tricky topic. It's rife with mixed definitions, confusion, disappointment, and often unrealistic expectations. And if you can relate to any of that, you're most likely going to find both this conversation and Melissa's new book very helpful. In our conversation, we talk about how mentoring differs from just hanging out. We talk about the role of mentoring in our spiritual formation, all the fears and insecurities that come along with it, and some practical advice for those of us in newer churches without many options for older, wiser mentors. Melissa's book is primarily written to help women in the context of mentoring, but our conversation and her counsel are applicable to everyone. So whether you're actively mentoring others, desire to do so, or think that you want or need a mentor, I think this conversation is going to be of help. So come on in the room for my conversation with Melissa B. Kruger. Well, Melissa, thanks so much for coming on in the room. Uh, it's an honor to be able to have you and to discuss uh, your life, but also your great new book, Growing Together. And uh, I'd love to just, especially because we've never met before, I'd love to just start at the beginning. So why don't you just take me back? Where did life start for you? Well, um, not very far from where I am now, actually. I okay. grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina. All right. Um, so you can probably hear my Southern accent. It's um, slight, but- though. I will say <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not, it doesn't feel overpowering yet. <laughs> Maybe it's that got, will come out more as we talk. It's got a little lilt. When we lived overseas in Scotland, it was wonderful because they thought my husband had the bigger American accent. I think <laughs> the lilt is a little bit of a, yeah, the Scottish, the Scottish yep. passed down to the South. But um, yes, yeah, so I grew up in Raleigh and then I actually went to school at UNC Chapel Hill. So it didn't go that far. And that's where I met my husband, Mike, and okay. he is the one who took me all over the place. And after that, um, and so we lived out in Arizona and we lived um, overseas in the UK a couple of different times. And I am really thankful to have landed back here in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, and he's the president of RTS Charlotte here. So that's why we're back. Okay. Back and so what about your parents? So your, your parents, did you grow up and your parents were married? Yeah. Christian yeah, home. What was family life for you like? Yeah, we um we were a um we grew up. I, I grew up in Raleigh. They're still in Raleigh. Um, we were at church every Sunday. Um, but I, I will say, I really don't think for me, I understood the gospel message until high school. I was at a large public high school, mm-hmm. and um, I had grown up in a mainline denomination, and I, I, I just really hadn't heard. I think the fact that I was a sinner and needed to accept Christ um, 
in, in, in the tradition I was raised in. And so it was really in high school through the ministry of FCA. Um, we okay. had a large FCA at my high school. It was amazing. The impact awesome. it had on the school. And I really, I heard the gospel, you know, and I mean, cause I grew up Methodist and Methodist church, you do not have altar calls. You know, that yeah. was just not, you yeah. know, so the first time I heard you're supposed to go down, I was like, okay, I guess I need to go down. And yeah. then I kept going down to make sure it took, <laughs> um, all the times, but, but really, honestly, from high school on, um, I am so thankful. I've really, um, had been walking with the Lord since then. Mm -hmm. He, he saved me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and it's been a sweet thing. Um, it's been over 30 years That's of awesome. walking with him yeah. and I'm so thankful for every year. It's, yeah. those have been the best choices I've made in spite of all my sin and all the other things walking with him has always proven to be, um, a blessing and he has always been true to his word. And so Good. I am so deeply thankful That's that awesome. he saved me. So what were your parents like? What did they do as you were growing up? Um, my dad is an engineer awesome. um, and um, my mom was a teacher. And so it's funny. I actually, I became a math teacher. So both of them influenced me greatly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the math for my dad and I love teaching for my mom. And so I taught high school math um, after college and okay. loved it. Um, I ran FCA at the high school I was at. And really just wanted to be in the public school to share the gospel. But yeah, so I had two great parents who um, were just wonderful. I had one older brother um, and he became a Christian through the same FCA program. And he That's and great. I have actually been in church together for 18 years here wow. in Charlotte. He's a lawyer here in town. And so it's been really sweet. All of our kids have grown up together. So they're That's he so has great. So Six. lots of cousins. Wow. Lots yeah. of cousins. No kidding. Um, yeah. So if you were an FCA, what sports did you play growing up? I, I actually played well, and our FCA, to, to be fair, really claimed you didn't have to be an athlete, but oh, okay. I, I played <laughs> soccer and I played tennis. Okay, awesome. Um, and so I loved both of those. Um, and and it was great. It was great. So what led after you guys got married, what led to your move to Arizona and Scotland? Was it was it global missions? Was it ministry? Was it education? What kind of had you guys traveling all over the place? Yeah, my husband, um, had taken an assistant pastor role in Scotland, and sorry, in Arizona. Okay. And then when we ended up in Scotland, it was for him to do his PhD. So oh, he awesome. wanted to study under a professor there. Um, his he he's in first century manuscripts. That's kind of his expertise. That's very very and specific. Yeah, it was very yeah. This was, <laughs> he did a whole dissertation on wow. a little piece of papyri. Yeah. Um, and it I found it fascinating too. I love. I love what he was studying. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it was great. Awesome. And then he's a professor. He became to RTS as a professor of new Testament and that's, great. and that's what he continues to do. And how many years then have you guys been back in Charlotte? We've been here 18 years. Oh, awesome. It's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've, we've been thankful to, I never thought we'd stay in one place this long. So I'm thankful. Yeah. So what has your ministry looked like throughout all of that? Cause I know, I think I read online that you've done, a bunch of teaching and work in women's ministry. This is not the first book you've written either, is it? No, that's right. So I honestly, the first years here, my oldest was born when we were in Scotland. Okay. And so um, a lot of the years here, the first, you know, six to eight years, I was a mom staying yeah. at home and, and I led an outreach Bible study all of those years. Um, I've always had a heart for studying the Bible with women who uh -huh. had never studied the Bible before. So I yeah. did that for a lot of years. It ended up being over 13 years 
of doing that with a group of friends. Um, we would try to reach out to all the moms at our preschool mm-hmm. and just invite them. Yeah. And then I went to work at our church in women's ministry. And so I did that for 10 years. Um, I was on staff and it was during that time that I started writing, um, mainly cause there were some things I couldn't find. It's, it's a different landscape now. There are so many excellent female writers, but at the time I couldn't find That was find not them. always the case. No, it's not always the case. Yeah. And so, um, I started writing Bible studies because I couldn't find ones that I liked or that were really helping get women in the word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of writing started for me. I mean, it was not my major. It was not really my dream. <laughs> a lot of it started out of necessity, um, to, to really start getting women, um, into the text. So I wrote a few Bible studies and then this book on mentoring came out of 10 years of having women, older women tell me, I don't know how to mentor her. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was honestly just trying to help give people the tools to help them do things yeah. in ministry on their own. Love and that. so that's kind of been the journey with that. Yeah. It's been a surprise to me and a thankful one. I have loved yeah. what I get to do. I love working for TGC. I now work for an organization called the gospel coalition. Yep. Um, and I work for them full time now and I absolutely love it. I work with some great. great people. Well, we'll get into the specifics of the book in just a second, but before it's all about mentoring for people that are not familiar with it, but before we get into some of the specifics of that, I'd love if you wrote about this in the opening chapters of the book, but tell me a little bit about some of the people that have been key mentors for you. Cause it was pretty obvious in reading your story, how much of this flows out of your own experience and the benefit that you've received. So maybe just talk a little bit about where your passion around this topic comes from. Yeah, um, the first was actually the high school teacher um, at my local high school who ran the FCA. Um, I got to know her just from coming to the meetings. And honestly, what was amazing, you know, she just was, she was living her life and doing her job and choosing to share the gospel there. And she's still a teacher. She's still doing amazing things. I love, I'm actually going to see a group of that whole high school group. We're getting together in a couple of months. Um, and so it, she, she discipled and really mentored just by being present, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but she had so much wisdom that she would just say to us, um, Mm -hmm. she was just one of those people. And I think there's something about being a teacher with high school students. You feel very free to give them the information they need about life. Yeah. So she was pretty frank with all of us and I appreciated it. And then when I went to college, my university staff worker um, mentored me for three years, every single week for three years. She wow. would meet and eat lunch together. And um, so honestly, I, I would say I almost felt some mentoring guilt. Like these people have invested in me. Yeah, I, I got to pay this forward. Other, yeah, exactly. Right. I felt like I, I felt like the Lord had been so kind um, to give me women in my life who just, who really put flesh on the gospel and lived it out before me. And so I've always felt this responsibility to always be looking back and saying, who can, who can I share what's been entrusted to me with? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's always been a huge, a huge heartbeat of mine is I should always be trying to, to share this with others because the Lord so richly put people in my life, particularly early on in my Christian walk. And I'm so thankful that he did that. Well, one thing I think that would be really helpful is to just start by sort of defining or describing what you mean when you say mentoring. That's one of, I think, the weirdest things about the world we live in now is we can 
all use the same words, but mean entirely different things. And so, you know, I get, I have, as a pastor, have conversations with people in my church regularly who will say something to the effect of, I'd really like to have someone who mentors me. And I always have to pause and be like, well, what do you mean by that? (laughs) So especially just talk a little bit about how you define or describe mentoring, um, in general, and then really kind of the specific type of mentoring that you are advocating for through growing together. Great. Yeah, I think that's so true because I'm definitely talking about spiritual mentoring when I talk about mentoring. And and that is actually different than counseling. Sure. Um, Sometimes Or being a life coach or something like that. Absolutely. Um, So really kind of the definition I like to use comes from Ephesians where it talks about um, some leaders basically are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Correct. Yeah. Um, And and so when it comes to spiritual mentoring, it's equipping the saint for the work of ministry. Um, And so we're basically trying to build up the church by building up his people. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but also knowing that the goal is that this person is serving and using their gifts within the church context all to the glory of God. Um, So it's not so that I get out my feelings or so that I, you know, just Mm -hmm. have someone who can solve my life for me. I mean, that's, you know, (laughs) that's impossible. I would love for someone to solve my life for me, but I, I think Jesus is the only savior that I can find. And so I do think sometimes we can wrongly view spiritual mentoring as the person who's going to come and save me. Yeah. Whereas yeah. that is clearly J- Jesus's job. He's the yep. only one who can yeah. do that. And but I, the image I like to give and I give in the book is actually, I remember when I was young coming out and seeing my dad and he was tethering a smaller tree that was bent over to a larger tree. Yeah. Um, and he tethered them together so that the, the smaller tree that was bending over would stand straight because it was standing beside the bigger tree. And that's the image I like to use for spiritual mentoring because that big tree is not making that young tree grow. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it can't, it's just standing beside. And so when people feel intimidated about spiritual mentoring, I said, just stand beside and offer the strength that you've received from the Lord through years of storms and tragic, you know, hard things in your life. And you're still standing to just offer that strength to the younger person who's bent over and struggling to grow straight in some sense. And so that I, I like that image in a lot of ways because it reminds us that God's the one doing the growing. Yeah. We just, we just come alongside. Yeah. I think that's important because I, I think people even have misconceptions biblically about, you know, I often hear people talk about the Timothy Paul relationship. And so we're all Timothy and we're all looking for a Paul. And I don't even think what we understand much of the time, or we assume Paul and Timothy's relationship was, is accurate to, I, I do. I think much of the time people are looking for what you you're saying, which is really some sort of functional savior to fix everything for them. And, and no one can bear up under that weight except God. Yeah. So I don't think Paul and Timothy were sitting around like having long coffees about how Timothy was feeling about his life. Not that that's bad to do. I think we all need that at certain times and we all mm -hmm. need friends. Normally they were out serving and doing ministry together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they were out and, and he's helping him write the letters and he's just, you know, he's delivering the letter. I mean, their relationship was centered on gospel work. And I will mm-hmm. say when Paul wrote the Philippians, he says, you know, he's talking about their partnership in the gospel. Yeah. And, and there's something about a partnership in the gospel where I'm, I am spending time in training you 
so that this work gets done. Our, our work is to, you know, in a sense, go out and, and fulfill the Great Commission. And when, when you have that mindset, rather than, I think we live in a very self-focused and I'm looking for self-fulfillment. And if that's your goal, spiritual mentoring is not what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are tons of self-help books. That's going to be more, that's not what spiritual mentoring is in a lot of ways. The goal is very different. Um, yeah. It's very missional. Mm-hmm. So what, what role do you think? Cause I, I, a lot of people have never, I mean, I'm, I meet a, a number of people who have never experienced anything like what you're talking about, um, which is problematic for sure. But, but how critical of a role do you think a relationship like this is to spiritual formation? Uh, you know, I think it's, it's absolutely critical. I think what's so sad is what you're, what, even what you're pointing to, I don't think we have very many missional people sometimes in the church. Therefore we have no one to, to, to guide us in a missional way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I think, you know, the first call on all of us is to really be about the kingdom and Mm -hmm. really be about um, the mission God has given us. And when we do that, people are going to come alongside. And and I think people are desperate, uh, you know, to see other people, um, laying down their life and following following Christ when it's hard and seeing what that looks like. And um, unfortunately, I just don't think we have enough of that in the church today. But when, when you see it, mm-hmm. it's so attractive. And yeah. you say, ah, that's so refreshing. You yeah. know, someone who's not about you know building up their own empire, so to speak, but who's, right. who's really just about wanting to know Christ and glorify him in the world and living that way. Um, if we can find people like that, I say cling to them and learn from them right. and ask them what they're doing and what they're probably doing is spending a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time in God's word before they're mm-hmm. doing anything. That yeah. would be my, that would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that we have so little of that is there is so much fear and insecurity in people. I mean, I think, even most healthy people often feel very inadequate to be able to formally mentor another person. And, and so when you like, what are some of the typical fears that you experience with people and maybe answer it from both ends? Like, what would you say to people who fear being a mentor and, and also to those who fear being mentored? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I had someone ask me this past year to mentor them and I, all my insecurities rise to the surface. Like, what am I going to offer her? She's already doing great. This is very, this is a great woman. I I didn't feel like I had anything to offer her. And I had to remind myself, I'm just standing beside, I'm just standing beside. Yeah, (laughs) not making her such a great, Uh, simple definition (laughs) of just standing beside. I mean, genuinely, I just think that that demystifies so much of it. And uh, anyway, sorry to interrupt you, but I think that that's a really powerful thing. No, and I'm still concerned. I'll admit, I mean, these are all my, I'm like, am I wasting her time? I just basically, you know, we talk about, we're actually going through my book and we're talking about different things. And, you know, but, but I realize. I'm always going to need someone to ask me, how's your prayer life? Melissa, can you tell me about it? How's your time in the word? How's that going? Like just having people willing to ask, how's that going? Who are you you trying to share your faith with? Mm -hmm. Um, Just asking the question is really helpful because we all have these things we know we want to be doing. We know what we want our life to be about. Um, But it's so hard sometimes to actually live the very lives we want to live because we're not Mm -hmm. talking about the more significant things. Um, Yeah. 
of our lives. And so to someone who might feel intimidated to mentor, um, the things that have definitely helped me are, are just the notion of standing beside and trying to remember, oh, if I could talk to my 25 year old self, I, I have learned some things mm-hmm. it, you know, in the past 20 years. I may not have learned much, but I've learned some things. Yeah. Um, but, but really the other thing is when we make the goal, not what I've learned, not what I even know, but what the scriptures say and working through that with someone else and pointing them constantly to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I may not know all the answers, but I can point them back and ask questions like, well, what do you think the Bible says about this? Or can I pray for you in that? I mean, just some of the simple things that we can do. I think for the younger woman who may really want a mentor and may be intimidated to, to find one, I, I do always just encourage someone to start with coffee. Mm-hmm. and say, hey, I heard you talk about your prayer life, and I'm really struggling to pray faithfully. Can we yeah. get together and make it specific? Don't just ask for coffee. Yeah. Um, say, say specifically why you'd like to get coffee with this older woman, because the reality is she probably has plenty of people she could get coffee with. I mean, yeah. like that's the reality. But if she knows you want to talk to her about something specific that she's mentioned or you've seen in her or you know, whatever, that's going to be like, okay, sure. You know, and then you can see where it goes. But I think yeah. the younger person, the more specific you can be about what you're asking, the better. And for the older person, I think it's just, just being encouraged that you really do have something to pass yeah. on to other people. You uh, make a really critical point about the need to set very specific and clear expectations, which I think is really, really important. So um, I think, again, going back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, especially when there are unfair expectations of mentoring in general, or when two people are like using the same word, but meaning different things or just a million different ways for that to go wrong. So, so tell me about uh, why that's so important and what those expectations should look like. Yeah. Um, one, one, this is one reason I wrote, I guess it's chapter two in the book Mm -hmm. so that I could be the bad guy and kind of bring it up. So it's less awkward. You could be like, well, you know, that author said we should talk about expectations. Everyone's blaming you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm totally okay with that. My mom was so great about that. When I was in high school, she was like, if you need to ever just say, my mom has told me you can't drink, just, just use me as the bad guy, you know? And so, um, I try to let myself be the bad guy so that people can say, okay, this is, this is telling us we should set expectations. I think it's hugely important um, because often, and I, and I would say set expectations about when you will meet, like we're going to meet one, the frequency, we're going to meet once a month on Tuesday evenings, the first Tuesday of the month, go ahead and set it because we're all busy Mm -hmm. and we all forget things unless it's on our calendars. Um, And so to go ahead and plan things out like that, we'll keep the relationship going and saying, we're going to do this for six months. We're going to read, you know, whatever book you want to read together. We're going to do and know. So know what you're going to do, know when you're going to do it and know for how long you're going to do it. Um, I think that's really helpful because both the mentor and the mentee have things that come up in their lives so while you may be able to commit for eight months, you may not be able to commit. I mean, your life could change. Like for, for the older woman, for instance, she could have mm-hmm. a parent who gets sick. Yeah. And she may, she may not have the bandwidth. She may have had the bandwidth when you began, but she may not have the bandwidth 
later on. And mm-hmm. so I think it's, it's also, I think, really helpful to establish that I'm standing behind, beside you for a season, yeah. but I'm not going to ever be your savior. I'm right. not, I'm not going to be able to walk with you through all of life. Now, I've been blessed to have mentoring relationships that have lasted way longer than mm-hmm. I ever thought they would. I have a sweet friend. She started babysitting for me when we first moved 18 years ago. Yeah. She now lives five houses down from me and is raising three boys who are all under the age of seven. Mm-hmm. And we are having dinner tonight. So yeah. we have walked through all of life together in yeah. these 18 years, but neither of us knew that when we began. Sure. And if she had asked me, will you mentor me for the next 18 years? I would have run for the hills. <laughs> Definitely. I would have been terrified. Um, so sometimes the Lord, but the Lord brings these wonderful things. We partnered in the gospel together. It, it's, she's a friend. Yeah. You know, I just happen to be a season ahead of her in life. Um, and it's, it's so sweet when the Lord does that, but I don't think that should be our expectation. Yeah. I think our expectation should be, we'll do this for a season and just see how it goes. I'm, I'm curious, uh, even in listening to you talk about this right now, how often, especially when it comes to, to in your experience, mentoring younger wom- women now, how how often is there almost almost this um, what I'm looking for in a mentor is really apparent <laughs> because yeah. of maybe you know unfortunately you know a lot of family a lot of us are not did not or are not growing up in super healthy families haven't had great mm-hmm. parental relationships how how often do you see some version of that are there any liabilities that come with that and things to be mindful of just speak to that for a second. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're living in a culture that has less stability because of the family structure being undermined mm-hmm. in, in so many ways. So that, yeah. that means, one, the church has a great opportunity sure. because I think the family is really actually pointing, the bigger family is always the family of God. And mm-hmm. that's the real family we're to belong to. Um, and so I think it, it forces us to say, we have to, we have to really do our job here. Yeah. We have to be fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and sisters and brothers to one another um, in some, some real ways, maybe more than we've had to do in other generations because the family structure, a lot of people don't know what it looks like to be a Christian parent. Sure. They have, you know, so it matters that we have young single people into our home. You know, and, and a lot of that for my husband and me was just, we opened our home for years and had Bible study mm-hmm. and they saw our kids and they yeah. got to know our kids and they saw how we interacted. And um, some of it, again, is just living your life openly before other people and inviting them in, yeah. um, not to perfection. It definitely sure. wasn't perfect, perfect from our world, but just to see, yeah. I mean, like I say, my poor friend, Angela, I mean, she saw... Mike and I getting the spats in front of her. She was around enough that she yeah. she saw the real picture. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's actually okay because, you know, if for any home you grow up, your parents fight at times in some yeah. sense, and they yeah. see that that's actually normal and healthy. It's not a reason to leave. Right. Two people disagree sometimes. Yeah. And so I I think um, I think that's even more needed now because so many people either grew up in church, there was the fight and then they did leave. And so that's all they know is leaving. Um, And so we can really provide a different way in the church to show, Hey, this is what a loving family looks like. It's not perfect, but um, 
come be a part of ours. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I know that your book is so helpful in, in learning to form these more intentional relationships, but there is something just so increasingly significant. And this is one, one thing I think that can really help those who feel insecure uh, or insufficient for the task of mentoring uh, the the level of brokenness that so many people have experienced in their life for them to see anything resembling health just to be able to see it even if it's not in a formal manner can be so healing and helpful to them for sure so I love I, that you did that well I think the call just to be hospitable yeah that's why it will never it, it, that's why it matters that's why elders are called to mm-hmm. be hospitable. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. They're the leaders of the church are to be opening up their homes. Yeah. And the, the reason why is people need to see what does a family look like? Yeah. So often, you know, they, they haven't seen a Christian family yeah. before. Well, as I was reading through uh, your book this week, one question I had was the advice um, or encouragement you would have maybe for pastors and leaders in a situation like mine. So, you know, our church is going to be two years old in September and we're in Salt Lake City. Uh, Less than 2% of our population attends a Bible-believing church on Sunday. We're the least Christian church city in America. And so what that, and our church is, is, um, this is the most meaningful ministry I've ever done in my life. I love pastoring this church. God's doing significant work here. And one of the challenges is the uh, incredible lack of spiritual maturity amongst, I would argue, really the Christian community in Salt Lake, because it's just still, we have zero Christian infrastructure here um, whatsoever. So it's, that's very hard to even conceive of and understand until you live in it. But, you know, what we don't have is this ocean of um, spiritually mature, I guess I would just say people. Um, it's not even an age thing as much as a spiritual maturity thing. So two pastors that are not in these multi-generational, uh, churches and maybe, maybe even read your book and feel very overwhelmed. Like, man, this is just so far from what we're, what we can do right now. Just, I know that there's no easy answer to that, but what would you speak into that by way of like, well, here's where I think almost anyone could start with this. Yeah. And I was in a church plant for years that had, I mean, I started leading Bible study, I think at age 27 Okay. and never had older women to lead it. You know, so I felt that Yeah. I want to just go to the Bible study. I want to be leading this, you know? And, um, and it's, First of all, it's 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 not ideal and it's hard. Is what yeah. I would say. So I feel a lot of sympathy um, in that in that scenario. At, at that point, what I tended to do, and what, where I found mentoring myself, since it wasn't in a physical presence in my church, there just weren't older people really at my church. Yeah. Um, I really was blessed through the writings of other older older women, and so I think the more a pastor can be aware of good female authors out there, if mm-hmm. they don't have, you know, someone to put before younger yeah. women in their church, the more they can at least direct them toward, Hey, this is a really great book. Read, there are yeah. voices that you should be listening to right now. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And just to not discount the daily, you know, if, if, if people are in the word every day, mm-hmm. just for 20 minutes a day, yeah, in two years, they're going to know a lot 
I mean, totally. you know, a lot more than they didn't know. Yep. And they're going to be able to pass that, that something onto someone else. And I know um, for me, I mean, it's probably embarrassing whatever I said in this Bible study, but I'd really become a Christian by 14, by 16, I was leading a small group in FCA, you know, and I'm sure it was a mess, but I actually learned in the teaching process. So I do think there's um, some encouragement that you don't have to go to seminary, you know, or be trained in all these ways to just start passing on what you know to someone else. Um, but, but I do find I was very encouraged by the writings of older women. Um, they, they mentored me and they don't know it. Um, but I'm, I'm very thankful they took the time to, to write so that I could glean from them. Because like I said, we moved five times in the first five years of our marriage. I wasn't anywhere long enough to kind of build up a relationship, but the Lord, the Lord was faithful to encourage me through the walks of people who had written books. That's good. Well, just getting practical, what, what specific structure would you encourage these conversations? Someone's like, they've set expectations they're They, they know how long they're going to go all of that. What do you, what, how do you, what do you suggest these conversations actually look like? Yeah. I'm um, in the, in, well, one, let me say by no means, I wrote this book on mentoring. I believe in all different types of form of mentoring, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, like yeah. informal, like just getting to know an older woman in your church. Um, this was more of a, if you want to do a formal mentoring relationship yeah. and you want to know, you want springboards to help you have these conversations. Yeah. Um, the kind of goal I had was to put forth things in a triangle is the analogy I give to talk about the person's relationship with God, to talk about their relationship with either their family or the church and, mm-hmm. you know, people close to them, and then to talk about their relationship with the world and to cycle through those three kind of categories each week. So one week we might talk about prayer. One week we might talk about, um, you know, serving your family. One week we might talk about um, evangelism to mm-hmm. non-Christians in your life or, you know, and to circle through those topics so that we all have our, um, kind of things we love to talk about. So sure. if you love reading God's word, that might be all you talk about with someone. Yeah. And I just think it's good to also be asking, Hey, where do you volunteer at your church? Mm-hmm. How, how are you serving in the church community? Yeah. Hey, uh, how are you doing loving your husband? Yeah. Hey, how, you know, how are you doing? Um, Being single, whatever. Yeah. Whatever yeah. that is. Yep. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I'm curious about something that you said earlier. Um, I'm like, so from my, I grew up in the church. Um, I think I came in as to the best of my recollection. I came to faith when I was seven, started in some form of ministry by 18, 19 and have just, that's kind of been my world. And over the last year, one big area that God's brought a lot of awareness for me is the degree to which I had really de- I had divorced my emotional health from my relationship with him and oftentimes my relationship with others. And so learning to, to integrate those two things has been a big, really big thing for me over the last nine, 10 months. And so earlier when you were talking about feelings, I know that you're not advocating for that. We, that these relationships are never a place that we talk about our feelings, but that we don't want to, we, there's also the ability to spiral inwardly to where you become just hyper narcissistic and you know, driven by every feeling that you feel. And, and so I, I understand the liabilities, but what role in these conversations do you think it's different from relationship to relationship or what role should conversation about 
hey, how are you? How are you feeling? Because I mean, our feelings and emotions definitely flood the Psalms and so much of scripture. So just maybe talk a little bit about that on, on what, what role should that component play in these conversations? Yeah. And honestly, if I were, if I were teaching to a mixed gender, gendered audience, I might tell men, y'all need to talk about your feelings a lot more Totally, (laughs) because, you know, they can dig in sometimes into, let's talk about the Trinity and they're in all the weeds. And I'm like, have any of y'all talked about the fact that, you know, your marriage is falling apart? (laughs) When was the last time you cried? Stuff like that. Right. In everything, it really is going to be dependent upon the person. Yeah, um, that's good. What I have found in, in in female discipleship is sometimes we can get very caught up in it's all how that. you doing, and that yeah. you start with how you doing, and then the only that's and, and you know you're talking about the PTA meeting for way too long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and it feels like sometimes it's a shield when we know we both want to get to the deeper things, but sometimes we're struggling because we just talk about the circumstances of our day or how crazy, what, what I would say is it's not to avoid talking about feelings, real feelings. Like mm-hmm. I'm fearful that my child might be this, or I'm right. fearful that I'm never going to get married or I'm you know, like, those are real things to talk about. Yeah. I would say avoidance of the circumstantial just talking. And there's some of that that happens naturally. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that that's mentoring. Yep. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes we can spend an hour catching up yeah, and we don't get to a real meat of how are you really doing? So I think these, these questions are geared to trying to get us into the real meat of our lives yeah. rather yeah. than, um, cause you know, you can spend 15 minutes talking about how you felt about traffic Sure, and those aren't the feelings that we need to get into. Right. What's really going on is that your mom has cancer. Right. And how are you processing that? What yeah. do you think? Are you struggling with God's goodness? Yeah. Are you, you know, and, and that's the real issue, but it gets kind of, we, we, we don't get there. And totally. so I'm trying to figure out how can we get to the real issue at hand? Cause I don't really believe it's traffic that's making you that right. upset. Right. No, no, I, that's a super helpful clarification. I think that's really, really good. Yeah, and I do. I think that um, your book is so very practical in by way of just the ability to to take that. And I, I would say it's really great for if you had two women and it is written, the book's written to women. And I, one thing I really liked about the way that you wrote it is it was helpful for me too. And I'm not a woman. Um, but, uh, I think two women who have never had a relationship like this would be able to use the book, I think as a springboard into that. And so it's just super helpful in a real stitch. It, there is some theoretical and theological component to it, but the bulk of it is so practical, which I just think is so, so necessary, especially in this age that we're living in when so many don't have this and don't feel competent or qualified to step into it. I think your book can be a really great guide for people to be able to do that. So let me finish up with a couple rapid fire questions. I would love, I just always love to hear this from, from anyone that I get an opportunity to talk to. Um, especially in the context of the dumpster fire that is 2020 right now. It's been a year. So uh, what's something simple that brings you joy right now? Mm, pizza always brings me joy. <laughs> Oof, that's why That's why I've gained the COVID-19. Yes. Because I of mean, my... it's a real thing. It's bringing too much joy and I'm having it tonight and I'm so excited. 
So do you, do you order out somewhere in Charlotte or do you make it at home? Well, we're actually going with these friends and they have an outdoor park a bench that we can eat, okay. we, we can eat on. And so I am looking forward to it. It's one of these places where they cook the pizza in like one minute. It's oh, yeah. oven so hot. Fire, and it, yeah. Yeah. It's got all these yummy peppers oh, and it's going to be great. I'm excited. Cool. I'm trying to lose the COVID-19. So I'm like eating kale right now. So enjoy oh, your dinner. It sounds like it'll I be great. I need to eat kale. What's something that you've read or listened to recently that's inspired you? Mm, I just finished The Warmth of Other Suns and it's just been really good. I had a book group discussion about it. It was, it was good. It talked about the migration basically of tons of black Americans from the South to the oh, North. Awesome. Um, it's great. It's really just gave me a lot to think about. Okay, great. What's something that you're working on or thinking through right now that makes you feel alive that you're excited about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there are so many things I get excited about yeah. uh, ministry wise. One thing I really want to work on um, eventually is, is basically a how to study your Bible book curriculum that we can use in our churches. Cause I found again, it's a little bit like mentoring. Mm-hmm. I found that if you didn't become a Christian in college, um, sometimes you never get discipled in some of the basics of life. And so that's, that's something I'm excited about. I don't know when it will happen, but I'm really excited about it. Love that. What's your best piece of advice to the average person living through everything we're living through right now in 2020? Spend more time in scripture than you spend reading the news or on the phone. That's great <laughs> advice. I mean, genuinely, I saw a stat yesterday that had kind of a bar graph of uh, had the average amount of time that the surveyed American had spent on Facebook, Instagram, and then the Bible. And I don't think it'll come as a huge shock to anyone, but we spend a fraction, I mean, a, a, a shocking fraction of time in scripture that we do. And that's just social media. That wasn't even talking about like mainstream news. So I think that's exceptional advice, advice right now. Melissa, thanks so much for your book. I know what an undertaking it is to actually sit down and and put all of this down on paper. And so I know what a labor of love that it is. And I think it's going to be a tremendous gift to many. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for that encouragement.